Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, everybody. Today's guest is Jen Razavi better known as Jen Pop from the band The Bomb Pops. She picked the song Notre Dame to discuss today from their latest album, Death in Venice Beach. She talked about how a producer can elevate songs, um, the importance of imagery uh, in the songs that she writes. Uh, Jen talks about how Notre Dame is a love song, but it's not an overt love song. Uh, She tells us of her love for Alkaline Trio and why they're her favorite band. And she went on to tell my producer, Chris, a story full of crazy uh, and spooky coincidences dealing with the bubonic plague and the Bomb Pops album release uh, that she meant to tell me earlier in the episode, uh, but forgot. And then I hung up. And uh, that's the last time I hang up uh, on an interview before I'm certain it's surely over. Uh, (laughs) Hope you enjoy it. Uh, Stay tuned. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. We recorded Death in Venice Beach in uh, June and July of last year of 2019 right after we got done with that punk and jublik tour in europe um we flew to denver colorado to record with chris fogel from the gamuts at uh his studio called black and bloom right and so love chris yeah. good dude yes oh yeah yeah i went to that new year's show with the gamuts less than jake yes uh, yes that was fun known chris for years He's wonderful and um he's has a lot to do with kind of what the bomb pops i know just elevating um i think quite a bit of our song structure and songwriting he's always been a huge huge influence to me as a songwriter for multiple reasons um one he's an incredible storyteller he can tell a story and put himself in a position he's never been in and tell it so beautifully from that view i mean like he has a song um called Love Suicidal on the album Parts. You know, it's about like two teenage lesbian girls who can't be in love because of their families and their church. I'm gathering they're from a religious families and they've uh, written these love notes to each other and how they can't live without each other. And I know for a fact, Chris Fogel's never been a teenage lesbian who like <laughs> contemplated suicide. <laughs> but I'll be damned if if he didn't make me believe that he was. Um it's just so beautiful and that whole record I can give I could talk every single one of those songs like 
has that kind of storytelling in some yeah, well and him. and your record sounds great you know the production on it it's a definitely a step up from from uh, the previous record so um going back to the song so you, yeah. do, you, do you remember wh- where you were when you wrote it and, and when you wrote it yeah and that's why this song specifically when he asked me to do this podcast i was like ha- i've got to talk about this song because it's um it, first of all it was one of the last songs written before um of the batch of songs on my end before we went into uh, the studio so kind of finished writing it before the we went on tour i came home from work and i saw notre dame in flames on the tv um and I was at my, living at my dad's house for a moment. I had a transitional phase last year where I was like, okay, reset. I had wanted to make a career change, wanted to do all these things. Reset at my dad's house for like eight months. So I was there at the time. And I remember seeing that on the TV and like, cry, like it made me want to cry. First of all, I've never actually visited Notre Dame. Second of all, it's just a f- fucking church on fire. Like, like if you think about it for what it is. And I'm, I say that because... I, every day people die on the news every day, like during this whole, like even this pandemic, I don't just look at the news and feel compelled to cry. And so I kind of had a, my first reaction was like, whoa, that's fucked up that every day I hear somebody, there's a mass shooting and I don't cry, but I see this beautiful cathedral on flames and I want to cry. But I saw that and I like booked it upstairs and finished the song because I had found the imagery that um, I needed to complete this song. And it was, it was Notre Dame on fire. And so I, and I say I booked it upstairs. I booked it upstairs and then I dicked around on Instagram for a minute before I like settled in. And what (laughs) I saw was a post by Michelle Obama that day. And she had written this thing on Instagram and it was just, you know, her thoughts on Notre Dame, and how, you know, throughout the centuries, this had been a sacred place for people to come and, you know, have hope, um, you know, during the plague, during war, during, um, you know, multiple things throughout history, this has been a sacred place for people to come. And I'm not a religious person at all, but I do love like, like symbolism and uh, so, so what what I took away from it, just reading the yeah. lyrics and, and hearing the songs. So, obviously, you know, uh, Notre Dame is 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 the the focal point in the imagery. But uh, to me, this feels like, and correct me if I'm way off base, it feels like a love song. Was that where it was yes. born out of? It okay. is completely okay. a love song, and um, okay, and that's cool because it doesn't overtly come. There, there's no love isn't in there, or you left me, and blah blah blah. Uh, you know, like a, a typical maybe pop punk love song. So there's, there's definitely, um, you know, but there's definitely undertones of that. I felt that this was a love song. So yeah. Talk, talk about that a little bit. I'm really happy that you noticed that because on this album, like I, all of my songs are actually for the most part love songs, but I didn't want them to be, I, I wanted to disguise them and things. Cause I wanted to like, I just kept thinking about Chris Fogel and like, and just different ways to tell stories and using imagery and other art that I had seen to like um, become the metaphor for my situation, which I didn't even want to talk, you know, I don't even want to talk about or, or write a love song that way. So that was kind of the goal. And I'm happy that that came across. Um, but to this song I wanted to write, like I had that first verse already. That was the first thing I had, like, it seems like things have gotten 
worse. You're the black cat on my path. You've crossed me and I'm cursed. Well, it seems like things are getting worse. You're the black cat on my path. So, but the main idea was like that you meet sometimes people and they don't come around that often. And when they do, they stick with you forever and you meet them and you're like, oh, you're my people like in an instant. And, um, I've known you before. I've been around here. I've been here before with you once or several times over. And I think you experience that with friends, but when you meet like a love story like that. Um, there's just, it's of the universe. It's of the cosmos. It's, it's, it's centuries old, but it also is just such a flash in time. It's worth this thing that time and space don't matter. It, it, it transcends through all of that. So that's like the idea. And I couldn't wrap my head around how am I going to write this song? Um, so that lyric about the black cat and crossing the path and the plague that was like my first one because also it was kind of a tormented type of love. It's like it just became really complicated and and like very apparent probably wasn't going to work out, but very, you know, a thing. And, you know, the thing about a black cat crossing your path, it's it's like a bad luck omen, but there's some also like good luck omens. I don't know if you research it. It's weird. It's like, well, really, what is it? But, um, you know, I think it's most associated with a with a bad omen. And um you know, in the, t- in the time of the plague, they say that uh, one reason for the, the bubonic plague was like there were they were you know, getting rid of cats because they were associated with witchcraft and, you know, they're burning people at the stakes and all this. But they're also like getting rid of cats and cats also controlled rot- rat populations in town. So killing off these cats at the same time when this like the plague was spreading that way through fleas. So it's this thing. It's like. That was the imagery that I wanted to start with. So I already I was like married to this thing about the imagery of the plague. Well, and that, and, that and, and and that's where I the, just this first lyric here is why I thought it was uh, you know a love song about a relationship. You know, I'm a victim and you're the plague. There's no cure and I'm left conscious, but I'm dying in decay. Just that whole imagery right there. Now, d- did you write this song yourself, lyrically and musically, or did you bring it to the band and you and you collaborated? I wrote the song myself lyrically and um, musically as well. And that's kind of like how we both operate, like Polly and I. And then there are certain songs where if I'm missing a gap, like I'll come um, to like, you know, to the table or to the producer and ask for help lyrically. But um, and I did so more on like the last album. But this album, I was really like, I can finish it. There's always if I don't like something, there's a smarter way to say it. I'm going to figure that out. It's like a puzzle. And I'm. Um, really into it. Uh, there's only one song on the album that I asked for Chris Fogel's help with it um, lyrically, and that was on the, the bridge of Radio Silence, where I was having such a hard time with it. I was like, Fogel, you're the guy. But well, I have that's... to mention, when you say musically, we did have two producers on this album, and um, Chris Fogel's engineer, producer, but so was Yotam Ben Horan from Useless ID. Okay. He was the producer um, on this album who worked with us before we got to the studio via voice memo. Um, and that was a, so like, so like pre-production essentially. Yeah. But he also came to Denver with us and he was there the whole time with us. And he was heavily involved in afterwards because we ended up having it mixed by the blasting room. And we actually ended up coming home from Denver and doing more and adding more. 
And okay. so Yotam was there like from when we got ready to get, you know, pre-production to after. And, um, and though how I worked was he would send, I would send him a song and he would send back what he would do. And we started off like our, before we decided to work with him, like he, I sent him three of my songs and he sent me back three versions of like just altering stuff. And what I loved is I told him, I don't sacrifice any lyrics. We can make them fit. If you have to rearrange them, that's fine. Um, uh, sometimes I would be set like, this melody I don't want to sacrifice. Or sometimes I'd be like, this melody, I like it, but I feel like it could be better. Like, what should I do? So when I sent him these three songs, he sent back two versions of them. Notre Dame wasn't one of them. But, um, and like one of them made me cry. I was like, oh my God. He's like, yeah, your pre-chorus is actually your chorus. So if you're, can you, if you just switch that, like your melody and your lyrics, like that's basically it. And he would also add in some chords that were not in my chord vocabulary and that's uh, cool sometime to be able to have somebody do that to look at it from the outside because you don't realize you're so close to it you're like you wouldn't think that the pre-chorus and the chorus should be switched yeah you know? and you also but, get married to those ideas yeah and you can't yeah. um uh, attach from them but with this some of these songs and i think in the past the past me would have been like no you know i don't know i would have fought it more in the end i do want our band always has the idea of was like, whatever is the best for the song is going to happen. And um, I'm really proud of us for having that mentality because I don't know. I think it, we got, it took us a while to get there and just working with other artists. And I, I just think that, and there's nothing wrong. Everyone, we're, there's, no, I, there's no wrong way to do it. If that works for your band or it doesn't, like, you know, there's no so, wrong way so to you, do it. You got into this, too. This is one of the, the later songs to, to be worked on. And, and the reason I was asking about Chris, you know, this song has bomb pops written all over. It's, it, it's got your sound, the, the, the pop punk, you know, female vocals. But it gets to the bridge, and I really heard gamuts. There's those minor chords there. gets really weird for a second there. So um, did Chris have anything to do with, with that part of the song or what did he, what did he bring to the production of this song in particular? So for this song in particular, um, what we did, cause we had two producers and one of the reasons like Yotam and Fogel worked together really well during the pre-production. We also, when we got to Denver, had a week of pre-production before we started tracking a lot of these songs, the band this time around, we didn't show to each other before pre-production and that became I felt like when we kind of did, we would get in demoitis. And I was like, I already have my demoitis. I don't want everyone to be married to their like, baseline or their drum part. Like, let's just wait till we get to these two producers that we've agreed to work with. That's what we are going to have them do or work through. Because most us. likely stuff's going to change. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't want people working to waste with you time guys. People being like, I don't know, just bummed like that their part gets changed. So I'd like, so for Notre Dame, I, rem I remember that this song, um, Yo Tom help me with that bridge. That was very much um, a Yotam bridge. Yotam on 100%. I didn't have a bridge for it. And um, he was just like, I'm just feeling no use for a name. He just took it to this to new, no use for a name kind of thing. And I was like, yep, I want to do that. Let's do that. But the funny thing is when we got to with Noter, to with Fogel, they would more or less like watching them together was really interesting because I love both of their sensibilities. And most of the time, Either like Fogel would suggest something or Yotam would be suggesting and he 
something and they'd be like, that's what I was going to do. They have the same, they throw in those, that same like splashy kind of, I don't know, a lot of the minor chords, um, a lot of these melody kind of slight alterations. And um, so for Chris Vogel, yeah, I, I believe on that song, it was mostly like Yo Tom, but they would be like, Fogel would be like, well, instead, what about, okay, just change this one chord or it's like not as long or a little bit longer. So I guess there was Chris Fogel on, on that um, bridge and Chris Fogel also helped me get to a good place in my voice with it. Like um, it starts slower than I'm usually like the right, like kind of like jump. I don't know how you technically say it, but I know I had a hard time at first singing it in the studio and Chris Fogel gave me some mind tricks to like get myself low and kind of sultry in the beginning of it. Right. So the, the song came late in the game. I don't recall you guys playing it on Punk and Drublick. What's that? I said, I don't recall you you guys playing it. On oh, my God. Uh, you don't Did recall you... us being there every day? <laughs> no, 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 no. I said, I don't, I don't recall you playing Notre Dame. Oh, I was like, I thought you said I don't remember you guys. <laughs> I was like, what the? F- we, we, have, we, we have to leave this part in. You're probably thinking, how many drugs were you doing? Jesus Christ. I was like, no, oh, of course. I'm pretty sure. Of we... course, I remember the bomb pops. That was a great one of the greatest tours we've ever done. For, for our listeners, uh, it was the Punk and Drublick tour. It was us. Uh, no effects. Well, no effects is tour. Uh, Bad religion. Bomb pops. Uh, Anti flag was out there with us. Um, who else? Lagwagon. Uh huh. And then yeah, us so- as well. We opened every day, and then there would be occasional. Like Get Dead played some dates, Lillington's played some dates, and Real McKenzie's played some dates. Yes, you just gave me my first real laugh of the day, and it's late here right now. So thank you, Jen. No, of course I remember you were there. No, I was saying I don't recall. I don't recall Notre Dame being played. So which was leads to my next question. So I was going to ask because the record came out in March. We've been, you know, no one's been able to tour. Um, I believe I saw an acoustic performance of you playing this song, but have mm-hmm. you, have you been able to play this as a, as a band to a live audience? No, we have not been able to play one. Like, no. And it's like, I didn't, so I didn't tragic. think so. Cause I, cause I, cause I looked online and the reason I'm asking is I, <clears throat> I like to ask the question of compared to your other songs, what kind of reaction does this get? But I can, I can phrase it a little different. So um, you, you put it out and I noticed uh, it's only been out for two months. Uh, you got over 200,000 views on YouTube, which is awesome. Congratulations. Thank you. Uh, what's, what's the, uh, what's the vibe in from your fans? Do, do they, do they love the song? Is it like a, a quote unquote hit with your, with your fans? Uh, it, it is. And, um, the, I can't even express like how insanely, like I want to like, tearing up thinking about it. Just like the feedback from this album is, is so great and interesting in a sense of first of all we couldn't pick the first single and like fat mike wanted a different single and he always does (laughs) yeah he always does but i always like want to go with like you know what he and i liked you know his choice but he had like a a bit more like of a harder song i don't know i just in my gut wanted this one and then uh, it's also like some people at fat wanted this one and then i consulted a friend of mine uh mike halloran who used to work at 91x he like broke sublime on the radio and blink on the radio back in the day and kind of discovered jewel i don't know i just i was like okay i'm gonna ask this guy uh out of these three songs that are like you know contenders for a single and he said that one but but in his in uh, how has it been received the interesting thing is 
I can't wait to, cause you know what the single is and you're kind of wrapped around that. And I've, and I trust these people's opinions, like Mike, fat Mike, Mike Halloran, Vanessa at fat and all Aaron and everyone at fat. But I also, um, you kind of know what the fan favorites end up being after the record's been out. And I'm in my past in the past. I'm like, okay, everyone f- loves that song jerk. And that wasn't a, like a single, you know, at first. And so, yeah, it's been really well received in the song Notre Dame, particularly, um, has been received uh I don't I don't know how to talk about it without being like I don't know talking about how awesome it is I feel weird saying <laughs> well it, yeah I mean yeah it, it it is awesome if you're and again you know I've been following you for a couple years now and as I've I've dug into your history you guys have been a band for a long time on paper but really your first full length came out in 2017 so the beauty of it to me your <clears throat> your band is that you guys have been around for a while, but you know, Josh and Neil came on board. How much, how, how, how long were they in the band before you recorded the full length in 2017? Um, they were in the band, both of them like together, Neil's first. And then Josh joined, they they joined in 2000. No, sorry. Yeah. 2012. And it was like, right. We're like, okay, now we're a band. Like I remember I've always kind of said like we've bomb pops were been around a long time. Polly and I've been writing songs since like 2008. And When they came around, I just, until this day, I'm like, we are finally the a band that I've always wanted to be. And it's like, Neil and Josh grew yeah, up you, together in the high desert. You, playing you, you find, st- you, you find, you find your missing links, you know? That, yeah. That and com- complete the band. They've been, they're a rhythm, they're the dream rhythm section in the sense of they've been playing music together since they were in middle school. Like they both, their dream was to be on fat records. And then here, Polly and I were other kids growing up in San Diego and doing this, we have our weird language of writing music together. And then they have their more actually traditional way of explaining music because they both went to like, they moved out to LA to go to Musicians Institute together. They are like living their dreams being on Fat Records. And so to find that rhythm section that's like locked in for life is kind of like the golden ticket for a band. Right. Well, like I was, what what I was starting to say though, and I think is, is great, is you know <clears throat> you, you can never be a new band again. And you guys have been a band for quite a while, but at the same time, you still feel like a new band to me. This is only the second full length record, so you know you're not cursed with that. You know, oh, they've been around forever so much. Yes. At least on from what I from what I see, you know, you guys are out there. Uh, is you were very well received on the, on the Punk and Drawback tour. Um, you know, this track. Um, you know, when I listened to it, cause, uh, I had heard it, uh, I think online when it first came out and, and listened to it, but I really, you know, you know, listened to it probably a dozen times in the last day, day or two. Um, with this song, it's cool. I, I, I hear, like I said, the, it, obviously I hear the bomb pops. It sounds like you guys, but mm-hmm. the influences I hear teen idols, I hear a little bit of the gamuts, no use. And I hear a little bit, I don't know what it is about the lyric. It's like a little bit of alkaline tree. That's fan? what I was waiting for. I'm doing a virtual you, dab. That's my favorite fan? band. I okay. know, if you okay. put it, like it's hard to say your favorite band, but like <laughs> I would say if you put a gun to my head, you don't even have to put a gun to my head. But I'll see, I never, you. I never, I never heard that influence with you guys before. I would have never picked up on that until this track. That's interesting. I don't know. We're an accumulation of and like a living embodiment of Southern California, just everything culture kind of like if you especially look at Josh and Neil and like they talk like this, they're like, yeah, bro. And it's like, <laughs> and Polly's like, just like the blonde beach. I don't know. It's just like, there's this whole thing of us. And um, so as we were playing, 
like like bomb pop starting out and even on the last record fear of missing out we had this super skate punk vibe and that's kind of i do love skate punk i like i love love it you know um and i think noise for name falls in that category and, and no effects and bad religion and pennywise like i love that stuff and so um we were doing that and it's actually harder to be <laughs> Not that it's, I don't know. I The songwriting for me that I wanted to get to was a point of like Alkaline Trio lyricism, but also melodies. And I think there's some crossover too with No Use for a Name. And, and I don't know, some of that just crosses over. But to answer your question, um, when I, the reason Alkaline Trio is my favorite band is I know that I know their whole like catalog discography, like the back of my hand. And I still every week since I discovered that band when I was like 15, I listened to that band so much. And every time I listen to them, I hear something different. Like I've heard these lyrics so many times. And then even just recently, I'm like, oh my God, that's so witty on like three different levels. And I didn't get that one until just now. Well, yeah. And I, but I also want to say it's not like, and, and I'm glad you've been receptive to my comments about it because some people will be like, well, you know, I, I think you're getting accused of ripping somebody off. That's not at all. And it doesn't so much sound musically like Alkaline Trio. The vibe I'm getting of, and, and you use the word very early on in this conversation about imagery, you know, the flames of Notre Dame. It's very uh, something Skiba would do. You know, he writes yeah. just this abstract shit that all of a sudden, like you said, three years later, it dawns on you of what he's really talking about, you know, and Matt's a genius for that. That. And uh, I, I definitely picked up on that in here. And, and like I said, it's a it's a real step up the the production, everything. And I did not I didn't know uh, that you work with somebody besides Chris. That was interesting. Um, oh, yeah. And that's a funny one, too, because not a funny one. I couldn't be more happy with this team. You know, we were set to go with Fogel from early, early on. And we just love working with him. I love how he is as an engineer. I love how he is as a producer. I love how he's a great hang. His Wife is the great hang. His child was conceived while we were there for the first time. That's a whole nother story. <laughs> and now he has two wow. children. <laughs> and we're like, we kind of made your baby. And now you have two babies. And um, so like that family and that hang is just so special to us. Um, so I don't know. We go to Denver for a reason or we go out, you know, we've gone to Denver twice now because we can't do it in LA. We won't focus. Somebody will go to work. Somebody will be late. Somebody will like go do whatever they have to do before being there. And um, it's just, you, we, we won't get the same result. And we force ourselves to be there together through the whole process, even through the parts you're not playing and pay attention, please. Like everyone does, but like they all do. And not like I'm telling them to do that. I'm just saying they do because yeah, they want to because what- they're there. That's what makes great records, though. Yeah. You know, and I I, I don't think a lot of bands really, uh, you know, know that about, you know, they'll be like, oh, we're just going to record at home. But there are distractions. <laughs> you know, there's yeah. uh, relationships, wives, husbands, boyfriends, girlfriends, whatever, kids. Um, and to get out and be in a bubble and just be consumed by it and like be there, even though you aren't the bass player and listening to the bass tracks go down because, you know, there's there's many times, uh, you know, that people have commented or do this change the guitar you know our horn players will say something hey go to a chord here that i wouldn't have thought of and that's that's part of, about being in a band it's time for today's lucky land horoscope with victoria cash life's gotten mundane so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to lucky land you know what they say your chance to win starts with a spin so go to luckylandslots.com to play over 100 social casino style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes get lucky today 
at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Turns and conditions apply. And um, and that goes back to what the, some initial questions I was asking. Did you completely write this yourself? And you're like, yeah, I wrote all the lyrics and I wrote the music. But, you know, there's there's an evolutionary process with that. You know, everybody kind of puts their stamp on it in the band. You know, they might give right. just a small, smallest suggestion of instead of, you know, instead of denied, make this word decay on the first verse. You yes, know? yes, and, yes. Yeah. And so, like, I, especially on this album, I... And that's where I've been doing a lot of acoustic stuff lately. It's the first thing I wrote this album on an acoustic guitar. Um, somebody told me a trick once, and it was Lawrence Katz of the Boss Tones, who produced um, an EP we did in 2014 called Can of Worms. It has two songs on it. We released it ourselves. And it's the first time he was like, okay, like your melody, it's cool, but you need to sit with this chord, strum it slow, and play with the melody and like, see if everything that you're saying fits or melody like fits into this chord and then on to the next one. And so how I write these songs for the bomb pops when they're coming to the table before they come to the table, sometimes like Notre Dame, I, most of the time it's like Notre Dame, uh, a verse or a chorus, like a first verse, chorus, pre-chorus, like the first, you know, part of it. Um, I can't even finish a song until I'm stoked and like in love with all of the lyrics from that part. Then I'll be like, okay, this is a song. If I'm not stoked or it's just not working with melody wise and lyric wise and that first, what my message and my imagery is, I can't love it. I just can't love it. So once I get to a point where like, love it, like this enough, maybe there's a few words that I'll get to later because I'm going to procrastinate, but like I could play around with changing that. Um, but that's going to be probably really simple because I know so well what I want to say. I can find a, you know, a smarter way to say it. And then in Notre Dame's case, I'm like, okay, then great. Now I want to do the second verse, second pre-chorus and chorus. On this case of this song, the, the chorus doesn't change at all. Like lyrically, it's the same. Part of me, sometimes I'm like, I wish I had done something a little more clever and changed the second chorus or the end chorus with a little bit of different lyrics and I remember having that thought writing the song and I was like but we do that a lot this chorus just comes a lot more often and I'm like you know what? I want this song to be the song where it does like you know like a like a copyrights or like a band I don't know it's just like they just say the same thing over. Well, and a lot of times you, you you think you're being clever, and then you look out in the audience, and they're still singing the first chorus because the exactly. first chorus because the fir- the first chorus was the best chorus. Yeah. <laughs> so you change you change the lyric to be clever and witty, and it just it does you know. So so no, I I think in this instance, I think I think you were right to to take the lead you did. Um, not to interrupt you, real quick, going back. So when you picked up that acoustic and you started putting pen to paper, do you remember how long it took mm-hmm. you to write this song? So that was the quickest I've ever written a song in terms of, I mentioned before that I had that first like verse about like black cat and the plague. I had written that. Uh-huh. Uh, I remember like I had that down. I was like, I think this is my song that I want to write about that larger like gr- picture of a hard thing to explain. So, cause I always like, okay, the plague, that's a, that was a long time ago. This is a lot. This is, I've been around since then. Um, and then I couldn't get anywhere. And I remember just setting it down and like it was the next day or maybe like two days later that that happened, that Notre Dame burst into flames. And then I put everything down and I like checked 
I just dove into this song and it like whoosh, wrote the the uh, chorus in the um, second verse. I went back to the first verse, I think, and I tweaked a bit of it and um, bam, done. And like to me, I was done because there are no lyrics in the bridge. And 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 so that was, you know, it was a shorter song. And, like, and I also like came to terms like with what we just talked about. I was like, I could get drag this on but i want this i kind of in that moment wanted to have the feeling of just being done with a song that quickly yeah and, so, and, and, and sometimes the best songs are the ones that people want to hit rewind and, and hear it again you know right you, you start getting into the three three and a half minute mark and this thing clocks in pretty quick it's like 220 you know right and that's where i was going like saying how we bring songs to the table so this song i had i loved my melody and didn't want to sacrifice the melody um but what it was before there was a bit of tiny sacrifice and it was when yo tom came to the table with this one um when i showed this one to him he was like here's the thing my melody it's like let the flames my verse was like yeah uh well it seems like things i've got it worse i was up there at the same thing and he was like you just he's like this he had him stop for a minute and I was like, what's wrong with this <laughs> song? He's like, well, if you're married to this lyric and this melody, to me, there's no different, like, difference between, I don't know, it just kind of sounds like the same thing. He's like, what you need to do, we need to bring you down here. And that might be a little tweaking of your melody or um, I don't even know. I can't remember exactly what it was. I could look back at I've all the voice memos saved through like the whole Well, yeah, process. I mean, basically he was going for note, note choices at that point. You were staying at yeah. the same register. Yeah. Which yeah, is, yeah. which is, which is awesome. You had a, that's why you use producers. You have another set of ears. Cause you know, I don't care who you are. We, you know, uh, I don't know, unless you're Prince, he's the only one who never really mm-hmm. had a producer. Uh-huh. <laughs> you can, you can benefit, benefit from listening to somebody else, you know? Yeah. And so, yes, yeah, it was changing notes and changing chords. That's completely what it was. Um, and I think we changed the key. Like it definitely changed the key for sure. Um, he was like, I want to see you. And his whole thing before he started working with us was, you know, I was like, I just want to see you guys get more out of your voice. And then we were like, as a band, okay, this song needs the noise for an Amy, like bass intro, you know? So that kind of, that's where that, the intro has to me has a very nice for an Amy yeah. thing. And, um, it was kind of like, okay, well like, let's connect those two things that like, I think a lot of our fans, like or fans of the genre would recognize. I certainly would pick that kind right of thing out. Well, um, we're going to wrap up here in a second. Uh, thank you for, for taking us through uh, uh, the inspiration and uh, the, the background of the song. I, I do want to ask a, a little fun question here before we wrap up. Yeah. Do you remember the first song you wrote and what it was called? Very first song. I do. <laughs> And what it was called was so stupid because it didn't have anything to do with the song. Uh, at the time, the phones were used the T9 predictive text. Mm-hmm. Do you remember? And like, so your little like Nokia phone. And for some reason, somebody once said T9 word doesn't spell crunk. And I don't even remember what context it was, but I think someone, it was like an overheard thing. And I just thought that was funny. And uh, so we named the song that, um, Polly and I. And yeah, so T9 word doesn't spell crunk <laughs> for well, so many cutting reasons. You were your teeth. It was, it, was, it was your first thing. I, I get it. Um, yeah, but so we're going to like it. <laughs> 
<laughs> we're gonna uh, we're gonna end here. I want uh, you to let our listeners know uh, everything and anything that's going on in the world of Gen Pop and or the Bomb Pops. Yeah, um, so let them have it. I will. Thank you. Um, well, we let's see. Um, but I do want to kind of plug my Patreon and it's um, patreon.com slash genpop. I'm so happy that you invited me on to your podcast to speak about songwriting because it started off that Patreon was about um, playing acoustic covers and just keeping myself busy and playing guitar. And it's turned into me sharing a lot about my songwriting process. And I've I, uh, talking about it is so different, sometimes hard to do. Um, but a lot of people that follow me on there are songwriters and, um, yeah, I'm happy we ba- like bounce ideas off of each other. It's become this awesome community and, um, they kind of, I kind of like do pre shows with them. Like I test out stuff that I'm going to do, which I've been now doing on these big, I don't know, bigger viewing, uh, live fests. So, They've helped me so much. I can't be more thankful for that whole process and having people like along with awesome. it. It forces me to do it. <laughs> Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. Anything yeah. else you'd like to to throw I out think, there? Um, last you know, call. The bomb- last call. Last call. I just say just um, you know, uh, if anyone is hearing about us for the first time um, via this podcast, that please take a listen to our album, Death in Venice Beach. Just Follow us at um, Instagram.com slash the bomb pops. That's kind of where we're most active. So, yeah. Awesome. Well, well, thank you for taking uh, time, <clears throat> time out of your day to, uh, to be with us. We appreciate it. Of course. Thank you so much. And I'm glad that you remember that we were on Punk and Drublick tour of together. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Jen. Thank you. Okay. Bye. Cheers. Have a good one. Hello out there. Yes, hello out there, everyone. I'm Hal Schwartz. And I'm Flynn McClain. Together, we host None But the Brave, a podcast dedicated to the music and career of Bruce Springsteen. Bruce and E Street Band are on tour right now for the first time in six years, and we're taking a detailed look at what's happening on stage in our bi-weekly episodes. We've also been recently joined by some very exciting guests, including rock journalist Warren Zanes and Stephen Hyden, Backstreet's Magazine founder Charles Cross, and Barstool's Kirk Menahan. If you're a diehard Springsteen fan, this is the show for you. So please subscribe to Nimba the Brave on your favorite podcasting platform, and we hope to see you further on up the road. Thank you so much! We'll be seeing you! I thought the episode was over, so I got off the line. But Jen stayed on and shared with Chris a story you will find. Interesting and coincidental, no need to be vague. I know a lot about the bubonic plague because when I was a kid and I was in seventh grade, um, we learned about the bubonic plague and I was so fascinated, like in a fear way, kind of fascinated. Like when you first hear the misfits and you're like, this is so bad. And like, but I like love it and it's really interesting like i don't know i kind of had this sick obsession with the buponic plague but it got really real and i don't talk about this a lot and i'm fine talking about it now on the podcast i don't mind it now but it's been really until this year that i've like opened up about it that being obsessed with the bubonic plague actually led me to have clinical ocd like never before in my life wow had i had like ocd but um 
uh, and it was also triggered by like I moved in seventh grade and it was nothing bad happened. I just moved. And they say like something like that, like kind of traumatic, like seventh grade, miss my friends, have to go to another middle school, like all these emotions. And then something like that happens. So the OCD like manifested itself in this completely irrational fear of the bubonic plague. And because I heard on the news that there was an outbreak in California when it's like summer and hot, there are sometimes like ground squirrels, there'll be an outbreak of the bubonic plague um, through ground squirrels. And it's like, that's fine. You can't die of the bubonic plague. You go to the doctor and they like fix it. And wow. it's a cure for the I bubonic plague. I didn't know you could still get, so you're telling me right now we, you could literally still get the bubonic yeah, plague? Yeah, the bubonic plague wow. does exist. It's just that there's a cure for it and it's kind of rare and it's not through like house pets, obviously. And like people, you know, I don't know, there's like ways to manage flea infestations and all this stuff. So, but they do pop up in California in like um, ground squirrels and then they like, I don't know, eradicate the ground squirrel population. I think that's what they actually do. And, but I lived by the beach. We moved to the beach in Carlsbad and there's these ground squirrels that like burrow in the kind of like hills, like the cliffs. And I got to the point. So my OCD was so bad that I began like obsessively hand washing, like hand wash my hands till they bled. Like I didn't go to the beach cause that's where the ground squirrels were. And then at that same time, my mom went to France and I was like, that's where the, like, irrational fears, you know? Yeah. And I'm, my mom went to France and came back and she, and she was like, and my first thought was like, that's like where the bubonic plague epicenter was, you know? And she came back and she was like, it was so great. You know, we stayed in this old building. It used to be a hospital for plague victims. And I was like, Jeez. oh no, 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 no. <laughs> and like, I knew what she wore when she came back from the airport. And like, I, for no better, like, use of the phrase avoided or like the avoided <laughs> the clothes that she had worn like the plague. Right. And I'm lucky enough that I grew up with like parent, my parents recognized what it was immediately. Cause actually my brother had it. And so when they, and I hid it from them, like the hand washing, like I, like my sink wasn't clean enough to wash my hands. Like I'd have to go to, and they, once they realized it, they were like, Nope, this is what this is. And, um, they put me like, I mean, I was on Prozac when, and I, um, like also cognitive therapy. I hated going to therapists. Like I just couldn't deal with it because right. a therapist is always like something must have harmed you when you were a child. And like the thought that if, if anyone even like suggesting that would make me so mad. I was like, no, I just, it's just the ground. Squirrels. Right. <laughs> and um, so I hated therapy, but like I was just so lucky to have parents that like recognized it because my dad was a lot of like cognitive therapies. Like that's an irrational thought. Like it's still real that you have the fear, but you know, through, but it's not going to happen, you know? Yeah, that's, and, that's pretty lucky that your parents did recognize it because, well, I don't know. I don't know if you still have that now at all. I'm sure that you don't totally get rid of that. Right. You still have to have a little bit. Right. Um, actually I don't. And that's, oh, that's the thing good. is like, I think that like the Prozac is a miracle drug when it's prescribed to, for the right thing. I think it can fuck up a person if it's not needed or not used correctly or not. It has to be used with cognitive therapy. It can't just like cure you. But I was cured. And I remember I stopped taking it when I turned like 19 because I remember being like, 
oh, I'm going to do drugs. Like, I want to do street drugs. Right. And I'm like, I can't take Prozac and do street drugs. No, no, <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's but right. here's the thing that's even crazier. So think of, there's, it all connects really quick. So that's the long-winded story of that. Um, the bubonic plague was a childhood fear of mine. Gone. I don't do that anymore. Um, but here we are in a pandemic. I know. And <laughs> what the thing was that was scariest about the plague? And I remember thinking about nurses like back then and plague doctors with those awesome fucking masks being like, okay, that's scary and awesome. But like how sad is it? Like people would die and you can't touch the, like you can't touch your loved ones. They just had to rot and decay and die while they were conscious. It's like their brain worked, but they rotted to death and like nobody could touch them. And so that was really what made me a, the, a fear came from because I was like, okay, this wow. is kind of cool. But then the fear of it was that. And so here we are. So wait, you know, let, let wait. me let me interrupt you real quick. So you're telling me yeah. all this shit. And then are you telling me the day that you were supposed to play your album release? Shit got yeah. shut down because of fucking pandemic. But I'm about to drop it even like crazier. So <laughs> the name of the album right. is called Death in Venice Beach. Death in Venice Beach is a name... That is a play on a title of a novel, which is one of my favorite novels about the what the life of an artist. And it is dark. Oh. It's and I hate and when I tell people that it's my favorite book, I remember my dad suggested I read it when I was in like younger and being like Who's oh, the author? What, well, it's what called book Death in Venice. So the author, it's called okay. Death in Venice by Thomas Mann. Written in um, nineteen like early nineteen teens because like uh, I mean nineteen seventeen or something, but it takes place and get this takes place in Venice, Italy during the cholera pandemic that swept across Europe, specifically Italy. And he uses it, the the main character. It's like kind of this fucked up situation where he gets wind of it because like in Venice, Italy at the time. It's a, it's a tourist destination. So all of the public, there's a, people speaking different languages. He gets wind of it through like a German newspaper, but this, he's lusting after this person and they're it's Polish. And he's like, well, they don't know yet. He's like, he keeps a secret to himself. And also the city is kind of keeping it a secret. Cause they don't want like, you know, their tourism to go down and they don't um, want to, they kind of just ignore it until it gets really bad. And all of a sudden everyone has to flee and are dying of, cholera and so the title is based on a pandemic that happened in started in venice italy and i just remember like well wow, that's cool like i want to we wanted an la kind of vibe title and it's like when i reread this book i was like right death in venice beach and then it came out yeah so that that's fucking crazy to me and then our album came out on friday the 13th of march 2020 huh. during a pandemic and wow. that's that's so many things. <laughs> that's so many times. Like you couldn't write that. That's like stranger than fiction. Yeah. You know, that's so weird. I have fucking crazy. Like, just like you told me like that this year, like things that like timing wise are just like, what, how is that? It, the year in the fact that it's the year 2020 seems really like ominous or something. Yeah, it's a, it sounds know, like, like a sci-fi like, title. 2020. The rap with Chris and Chris. All right, so one thing about Jen's episode that I thought was really cool and interesting to think about is 
how you can be inspired by something you see in the world to write music. She talked about seeing Notre Dame in flames on the news, and that inspired her to write a song. And uh, that kind of imagery in songs really makes a song pop and paints a picture in your head. And uh, I think that that's really cool. That that goes a lot further than, you know, a lot of times you'll hear, uh, for lack of a better word, generic lyrics. And maybe it's just sometimes because they sing well and because they're relatable on a mass scale. But personally, I love to hear something very specific and there's bands out there that do do it so great like i think of like death cab for cutie does it so well and like uh there's just so many great examples of that so you know i wanted to talk to you a little bit about some less than jake songs i mean less than jake are a perfect example you guys have so much crazy good imagery in your songs and uh you know one song i wanted to talk to you in particular about is scott farkas takes it on the chin and the imagery in that song that I always pops out at me is the imagery of like this circus show. You, you reference this circus show. And then later in the song, you reference that when you, when I think of this town right now, it's filled with speed freaks and assholes and all kinds of creeps. When I think about this town, right now it's filled with speed freaks and assholes and all kinds of creeps and somehow every new place in every single case that and that once again <laughs> brings back like that circus feel and and yeah that, that you know like I told you before that's maybe top two maybe number one favorite lesson Jake song of mine so I don't know I just wanted I wanted to hear your thoughts on imagery in music a little bit yeah you know I mean our our uh, original drummer Vinny who who was was with us uh, for for most of our you know time here our career up until a couple of years ago he. Uh, wrote the bulk of the lyrics all these years, and uh, he was my my best friend growing up. Uh, we we formed the band together, um, and he would just always be handing me these scraps of paper since I was a fifteen year old kid here, and it'd just be like random ideas. Sometimes it'd be like a full full on lyric, a full vocal, um, but a lot of times it was just these these scraps of of imagery, you know, right. and. Uh, that was the beauty of, of creating because he wasn't a songwriter in the sense of like picking up a guitar. Um, you know, he used me as his conduit. He used Roger and the rest of us to get these these ideas across of what he was feeling. And, uh, it, and it, it worked beautifully. Um, you know, a song like Scott Farkas, um, honestly, there wasn't we were just writing songs at such a breakneck uh, uh, pace. There wasn't much thought in it, like to, to go back to that time period and really think and analyze those lyrics. Uh, yeah, there's great imagery there, but uh, these were these were just bore out of pieces of paper handed to me that oh, this is this will work over this quarter range exactly. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's not till years Which later. Which sometimes those are the best songs. It, yeah, it's not till years later, and you're talking about it on a podcast where you're like, wow, that was uh, very insightful and beautiful imagery. <laughs> no, it was just a, a, a scrap of paper that my friend handed to me and then I, I, I sang it, but looking back, it's, it's a, it's a pretty wonderful thing, man. I, I, well, it, it is. And it, it's just testament to how good the thoughts were and how, how good he was at being able to, uh, uh, you know, capture this imagery through words that we were able to translate into song. Um, and, and again, you know, you never, never thinking that it was going to resonate, uh, with listeners later on, at least this long, um, you know, and, uh, we actually put that song out on a seven inch, I we released it, it. <laughs> and yep. Yeah, and then we re-recorded it, uh, for the Rockview record. Um, and, uh, it was just kind of one of those, 
you know, fan favorites from the time we went out and played it. Like people, people loved it. Yeah. And, and the other thing like you're talking about is it's amazing how teaming up with someone to write a song together can take something so much further than when you do it by yourself sometimes. Not to say that you can't, that everybody writes great songs where they write everything. And in my band, you know, uh, Steve writes entire songs sometimes. They're great. And we're just like, okay, that's it. That's the song. We'll go with that. And sometimes someone else brings a song, whole song to the table and that's great. But I feel like the songs that are the most special to me are the ones where we all collaborated or, or a couple of them. In particular, I think about this song, this punchline song called Green Hills, where Steve had written this part on piano that was the, the lyric was uh, nothing's ever going to work out quite the way you think that it's going to work out. And I just thought it was really pretty. It was a really pretty piano part. And, and I liked the lyric. And it made me think of the fact that I was moving away from the place where it was like a where I grew up. It was like a 30 acre farm and then there was a, a landfill over the hill from where we lived. And then the landfill started moving towards where my family lived. And they started, I think it's called eminent domain when they just start mm-hmm. taking your yeah. land. And then it is. Yeah. And it sucked. It's, it was a fucking landfill. And we had like this, this place where I grew up and then lived there all these years. And then finally the landfill just bought, the, you know, my parents moved out of there. My grand, I live next door to my grandparent, my, my grandparents and my great grandma who didn't even speak English. And, uh, so it was really sad moving everything out of there. So that was what I, then I wrote the verses and, and gave them to Steve and, and it was just all 100% imagery of things from there. There were things like I, I wrote lyrics about the clouds looking like animals and faces of presidents. Soft light. The clouds look like animals and faces of presidents, lions, and the profile John F. Kennedy wrapped up in the And things like very specific memories now when i listen to that song every time it reminds me of this place that i can't go to anymore but i'm so glad that i have where i grew up down on in a song you know because it could take me back to there and i think that's what's so cool about imagery in songs is that it can transport you to a place that maybe you can't visit anymore or to a person that you can't visit anymore so that's uh one of those really magical things about writing music that i love oh yeah and and i've touched on this uh in a couple episodes now is, is just the fact of the memories attached to the songs. Uh, that's why you love them so much. Uh, it takes you back to the good times, uh, sometimes the bad times, but sometimes reliving those bad times, uh, uh, you're able to have a different uh, perspective uh, and thought process process on that, uh, you know, 10 or 15 years uh, removed after the fact. Right. And speaking of that, if someone did have some, some, <laughs> do you like my segue? Uh, I love it. Yeah, yeah. Well, speaking of that, if someone out there happens to not be musically inclined, but they, but you love music, or maybe you are musically inclined and you just love Chris's music, uh, then they can hit you up for a custom song, right? They they certainly can. I mean, if if you have those songs in your head, you're not necessarily a songwriter, but you have ideas. Maybe you wrote, you wrote a poem for a loved one or just had a poem you wrote in fifth grade that you like that you want put to song hit me up I'd love to write you a custom song uh, uh, jingle or voiceover for your business 
uh, podcast or brand, whatever you have in mind. Um, yeah, I also do one-on-one live video sessions. Uh, these could be anything from musical collaborations. I could help you produce a song, work on a song lyrically, melodies, harmonies. I also answer questions about the music business. Uh, we can talk about uh, how, how to uh, get your band out there a little bit better in the social media, etc. Uh, information on all this, please hit me up at kristamakes at gmail.com. You can also find me online at Instagram at less than Chris D, Twitter at less than Chris. And please join us on our Krista Makes a Podcast Facebook group. And uh, it's super easy to, uh, to, to join. All you have to do is request what artist you'd like to see featured on Krista Makes a Podcast. Uh, yeah, you, people should definitely join that group. And I would be really interested if you're listening to this episode, go go drop a post in there about what your favorite Im- your, your favorite imagery in a song is, whether it's a Lesson Jake song or whether it's anybody's song, because uh, I think that's an interesting thing to hear about. Absolutely, and uh, just want to leave our listeners today letting you know that uh, you know uh, I, I had a been blessed so far with having uh, friends from the punk and ska world uh, be on the show but I am uh, uh, trying to branch out to other artists and other genres that I love so if you have any suggestions please let us know we'd love to get your favorite artist on here to speak about your favorite song Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky Lucky? In line at the deli I guess Aha in my dentist's office more than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, you. Do you have any plans this year? Ha! <laughs> How's that going? Do you get 2020? Well, welcome to a brand new podcast called 2020, where myself, Benny Goodman, and my good friends, Corey Pazin and Siobhan Cronin from the band Lost Symphony, also got 2020. And since the world ended this year, we decided why not just check in with some of our friends in the music industry and see how everyone's doing. We're going to get a candid look at life on and off the stage, as well as the mindset of some of the most successful people in the entertainment industry. New episodes drop every Sunday and Wednesday at 9 p.m. Eastern. And you can listen at Tuesday. 020-D.com, soundtalentmedia.com, or on your favorite podcast app.